From Workhouse Connect and A.J. Benza. Fame. Uh, he liked to be walked on a leash and play really dirty, kinky sex games. He's a... The guy put the cock in the Peacock Network, okay? Bitch. Hey, everybody. A.J. Benza here with Reckless Wednesdays. This is Fame as a Bitch. For Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Sorry about the voice. Uh, well, some of you know that I was sick from Sunday to... Uh, actually, Saturday to Tuesday... I feel fine, but my voice is still a bit hoarse. And uh, just bear with me today as I uh, as I shriek through this show. I did a politics is a bitch, a Patreon show, and now I'm doing the free show at uh, 7:54 at night. It's funny. This morning I was talking to one of my patrons, the great Angela Domino, and she was like, "How you feel? What's going on?" And Angela's. Literally the only patron who texts me extremely early. She knows I'm an early riser. She doesn't care if she's three hours ahead of me. And when she texts me at 5, 10 a.m., I don't get mad because I love her. Because she's on her morning walk and she wants to show me what it looks like in St. Augustine, Florida and how beautiful things are. And I appreciate it. It's great. <clears throat> then we started talking about how do you feel? How are you? I said, you know, I thought I might have had the Omicron, you know, you know, I, I maybe I did. Who knows? I didn't want to go get a test because I don't give a shit. I think it's all horse shit now. Anyhow, most everybody's vaccinated. What's the point? You know, why sit myself in a room for five days and I don't, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. Right. I said, but I had all the stuff. I had the shits, the chills, the sore throat, the hacking cough. Now, forever, we're going to think every time we have those symptoms, we got another form of COVID. And Angela was like, we get sick, it happens, you'll be okay. I had an earache yesterday, old school remedy, warm olive oil and a cotton ball, and today I'm all good. (laughs) And then we started going down the list of old-timey remedies our parents and grandparents did for us. And yes, of course, we like vitamin B, C, and D, and zinc naturally, but there are some things we went through as kids of the 60s that uh, I don't think you young whippersnappers today know anything about. And they work. They work. I told Angela, I said, you know, I remember when my nephews, even my kids, when they were infants and constipated, there are all sorts of things you can buy on the shelves at stores to, you know, help the kids go, but... My mother and her mother and my father's mother and me and Rosalie, etc., we would take a sprig of parsley. Now, if your kid was constipated during the winter, well, there's nothing you can do. But during the summer when the parsley is growing, you take a long sprig, take the leaves off it, save them for, you know, for the pasta sauce, and you gently push the sprig of parsley up the child's anus and you hold the cheeks together. Now, the kid usually bucks a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit of a sensation. You know what? Presto changeo. Constipation's gone in a few hours. It's true. And I told her, my mother and many other Italian moms used to take a clove of garlic and wrap it in cheesecloth and pin it with a big giant safety pin to my cloth diaper. 
And one day, I was an infant, maybe two years old or so, not an infant, but two, I was walking, and I felt pain, and Rosie said, Mommy, AJ's really in pain, he's bleeding. She said, he's bleeding where? By his hip. My mother had taken a safety pin and put it through the cloth diaper and into my skin and back into the cloth diaper. The the garlic is there to ward off evil spirits. I don't know what it does for clumsy mothers, but um, I lived. Angela came back with, remember that mustard paste on a hot towel used for sore throats? I do. And I said, remember mercurochrome, the orange liquid we poured on every kind of cut we ever had when we came in from outside? Yes. When we teethed, we either rubbed red wine or scotch or whatever the hell of the alcohol we had on our gums as babies and the teething stopped. And Angela said something, I, ne- I never heard of this, but cream de cocoa or cream de cacao to go to sleep. That's a liqueur. I guess because it's so sweet, you don't feel like the kid's on any kind of alcohol. But boy, that brought me back. I mean, think about it. Nowadays, if a parent gives their kid scotch to help them with teething, or cream, cream de cacao. <laughs> the child services would take the kid away and put the parents in jail. But you know what? It all worked. And that's the way it goes. And you know what? We didn't get sick too much. Because you know what? We went outside and rolled around in mud and picked up dead birds and licked flagpoles and shit like that. Yeah, we did those crazy things. And here we are, still living, even though I almost died this weekend. Anyhow, a couple of things I want to bring up today. And I will bring up something I spoke about on Patreon. So you Patreon listeners, bear with me at the end of the show. I want to talk about William Hurt again for the non-paying customers. I want them to hear the kind of stuff we talk about and why it's important for them to join the Army. Um, But first... What is it with these celebrities today? I, I Every time I turn around, they just want more and more attention and, and, and access and clout and any other word you can think of. It's out of hand. The other day, you had Lizzo rallying against Texas lawmakers in their attempt to probe transgender medical procedures for minors during a keynote session at the South by Southwest Film Festival And she was yelling, it's a violation of human rights. I think Lizzo in a bikini is a violation of human rights. But she went on, despite risking an immediate heart attack from all the emotions she was displaying. She said, they're taking away the rights for young children to have a chance to live authentically as themselves. And it's a violation of human rights. She was talking about Texas Governor Greg Abbott's recent decision to label transgender medical procedures as child abuse. I tend to agree with the governor. Lizzo went on after being administered some oxygen. I'm kidding, but I'm proud to represent Houston, but I'm not proud to represent Texas politicians right now. There are very regressive laws being passed right now. Every time she talks on this on this kind of order, I think she was prepped and she was sat down and, and coached on what to talk about and how to say it. I don't think she knows enough about this stuff, but she's such a big presence 
with such a massive following, they need to use her, just as Biden and his stupid administration decided to brief TikTokers and ask them their thoughts and what we need. It, it just it makes me sick how stupid these people are. Lizzo went on to say, we got a lot of other things that we need. There are people in charge who can change things on a systemic level, and they're letting us down. Those are all partisan points that anybody can read on a fucking piece of paper. She's just, she's just echoing other Hollywood liberals like Michael Moore, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Amy Brenneman, Amy Schumer, and my ex-girlfriend, Alyssa Milano, who's had many meltdowns over this sort of thing across the country. At one point, Milano, who, trust me, her husband is hiding in a corner of their house the last few years. Milano has said that this is the most dangerous time to be a woman in America as she called on men to use your privilege to destroy your own privilege. Alyssa, we're both Italian. Okay, I know a lot of things I just talked about, like the garlic on the diaper and the scotch on the gums and the parsley up the ass. Your mother did the same thing and so did your grandmother. Snap out of it. We're both Italian. Ask your grandmother who came over on the boat if she'd rather live as a woman now or as she did in 1919, you stupid bastard. Jesus Christ. When coat hangers weren't just used for coats. And of course, Lizzo, being the new kid on the block, takes her cues from Milano and just repeats what she says and feels so she can fit in, so she can still be loved by her clan. Because as much as Lizzo wants love from all the great people in America, she can't find it all because many of us are turned off by her. So she ingratiates herself into a crowd that lets her in. The same crowd that welcomes in the transgender, the psychos, the weirdos, the people who, you know, who had to be shown on close-ups at the recent award shows. They've got to zoom in on the boy with the long earrings and the eyeshadow and the fucking ruffled shirt and the skirt. I don't need to see these fucking weirdos. I don't need to see 0.01% of the country's population in a close-up. You keep putting them in the movies, I'm not going to go see it. And, and, and most of America won't either. It's annoying. It's maybe why Lizzo also attacked pro-life legislation in Texas, which bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, when a fetal heartbeat is detected. She said, the abortion ban is atrocious. Mind your business. Stay out of my body. Oh, we will, Lizzo. We will. There is no danger in that. Before I go any further, can I get a round of applause? Can I get a round of applause? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped has launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's not just for your private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. I love the Manscaped scent, by the way. It's the only cologne I wear. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Manscaped is trusted below the waist, as I've proven to you. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide and the 8 million balls who trust Manscaped 
by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FAM. We all know how Manscaped has just changed the game with the Lawnmower 4.0 for that precise trim below the waist. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra premium collection. And the package includes, you ready? Premium deodorant. Manscaped premium deodorant. Not for your balls, for your armpits. Hydrating body moisturizer that is designed to keep your skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, plus a free gift, a pack, a three-pack of lip balms that's made up with ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. I was thrilled to get this package in the mail because I always steal chapstick. But now that Manscaped is sending me a packet of three, I'm good for at least six months. So thank you, the folks at Manscaped. That's four products plus a gift inside the ultra-premium collection. All these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. Get that ultra-premium collection hot off the shelves, 20% off, and free shipping with the code FAME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. Plus free shipping with the code FAME at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. You know who needs Manscaped? Everything. Pete Davidson. If I were Kim Kardashian, I'd grab him the whole set and go to town. Trimming his ass, washing his balls, getting him ready for his trip into space. And maybe he'll stay there. Have you heard this? The Saturday Night Live cast member who hasn't been on the show in three weeks, Pete Davidson's going to space. He'll take part in the next space flight operated by Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' rocket company. He's taking off March 23rd. That's coming up. It'll be the fourth human flight on Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket. Davidson will be joined by five other passengers mainly business leaders who would otherwise not give a shit about him or care who he is, but will now all ask him what it's like to bang Kim Kardashian. And once you're in space in a rocket, you'll talk because you realize you might die. If I were on that flight, I'd ask about Kate Beckinsale. She's more my type. The New York Post reported earlier this month that Bezos would also be on that flight to space, but now things have changed. He's not going to be on it. And I don't know why, but my spidey sense tells me this flight isn't going to go off as scheduled. I don't know why. I don't want it to blow up. I'm not saying that. But I wouldn't mind some shit happening to humble the crap out of this clown. I'm talking a lot of turbulence. It's one thing to be on a turbulent flight on Southwest Airlines from L.A. to Vegas because of high winds. How about turbulence on a rocket ship? You know, on Kanye's Sunday service this weekend, he is going to be praying for God to take that rocket down. And he'll probably put it on an Instagram story as well. Earlier today on the Patreon show, I talked about people dying, you know, Scott Hall, the famous wrestler, otherwise known as Razor Ramon, died at 63 years old. 
from complications from uh, hip surgery, a blood clot went up into his head, gave him three heart attacks, went on life support, they pulled the plug. 63 years old, very sad, great wrestler, great star. Haley Baldwin almost died, 25 years old, another blood clot. I got into Bob Saget's whole situation. I think there's a lot of hanky-panky there. And I think that's going to be, down the road, a Bob Crane-type scandal. I really, really do. The fact that his family, mainly his wife, has sued to get everything, you know, away from the public's prying eyes and ears. I don't like this. I just don't like it. I think it stinks. And I think way down the road... Maybe we'll be dead, but somebody, our kids, will find out that there was some hanky-panky going on. But that's for you to go on Patreon and listen to to get the real inside scoop. But there's a lot of things happening with people, deaths that are occurring, and I think we're not getting the whole story all the time. And it bothers me. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, Louis Anderson or Sidney Portier or Meatloaf, who we know died of... of natural causes and illnesses they were suffering from, etc. But there's these other things, the suicides and the people who die of unknown illnesses, that they don't keep me up at night, but I want to know more about this. And I feel like as a person who's done over 250 shows on celebrity deaths and the mysteries and scandals that surround these deaths, I did all those shows and we got all the facts straight. Not just us, but the people before us, the reporters before us. Why can't we do that today? What's stopping us? Why don't we ever know the whole story about people? Mainly because the media sucks and doesn't ask enough questions and people's uh, right to privacy, I guess, has increased, etc. But there still should be dogged reporters and journalists who go out and find out the truth. It ain't that hard. So forget Louie and Sidney and Meatloaf. Darren Chris's older brother, Charlie Chris, died by suicide in February. And, you know, the family says, we'll never know just how long he was fighting this war within himself. I think they do know. I think that's obvious when you live with someone who's miserable. You kind of know how long they've been that way. It consumed him fully, and he succumbed by taking his own life. But they describe the brother as vibrant, special, Worldly, hilarious, insightful, gifted, intelligent, celebrated, celebrated, adored. No other adjective to to connote his his insanity, his depression. I mean, give me something else. You're describing a wonderful, gifted, you know, sunshiny person. That's clearly not who he was. A lot of you don't know the the very beloved Hollywood manager, Chris Huvain, killed himself in February as well. He was battling depression. He was only 47 years old. People were devastated. He's got a whole bunch of family in the business, and boy, he and his brother, just they, they represented some huge stars. And every single person who met this guy thought the greatest things about him killed himself. Tears of a clown syndrome. But I wish we knew more, but we don't. Then there's the fashion legend Andre Leon Talley, who was a big prick, don't get me wrong. He was Vogue's creative director, dressed like a big old lady man, and died at 73 after an unknown illness. 
Bullshit unknown. Did the guy have AIDS? Can we get past it? It's been 35 years since AIDS killed people. Why do we have to make it unknown? What else could it be? No one knew? No one. This is a world-famous person, and we can't figure out his death? I don't like this new way of journalism. What I'm saying is, there's not enough being said, even when people know what they know. And the case in point is going to be what I bring up, what I brought up on the Patreon show, the death of William Hurt. See, I'm going to tell you things I know about this guy, and things that are clearly easy to get and find, but yet when he died... All we heard was these laudatory expressions and how wonderful a guy he was. Tremendous actor on screen, even on TV. Highly skilled, trained actor, could tackle any role. And there was a time in his life when he was the hottest hot shit actor around. Broadcast news, body heat, the big chill. So many other great performances on stage and screen. And he was nominated for an Academy Award three years in a row during his career. And he won for 1985's Kiss of the Spider Woman. That's only happened a few times in the history of movies. So he was great, right? Yeah. I never liked the guy. I liked some of his work. Of course I did. But I never liked him, the man. I didn't trust him. Like I said on the Patreon show, I'm like a dog or a little child. I can tell right away. And I'm always right. These last few days, all you've been fed was, you know, how great he was, how charitable he was with young actors, how generous he was, all the typical bullshit. There was more to his life. People tend to forget. Nobody remembers. I remember. And that's why you need to listen to my Patreon. When William Hurt was 35 years old, he began dating a 19-year-old Marley Matlin, the very beautiful and sweet deaf actress. On the night she won her Best Actress Oscar for Children of a Lesser God, she tells a story about sitting in the limousine with William Hurt on what should have been one of the happiest nights of her life, but it wasn't because William Hurt, her boyfriend, was jealous of her. And he began to berate her in the car. William Hurt had been dreading the possibility of Matlin winning the prestigious award. And that very night, he turned to her and asked her, What makes you think you deserve it? There are hundreds of actors who've worked for years for the recognition you just got handed to you. Think about that. Now, that's not something that You only had to read her book to know. That was a story that was prevalent. But nobody brought it up when he died. I don't give a shit. I brought up up Kobe Bryant's rape story the day after he died. I think that's news. Why do we have to bury that shit? I don't agree with that. So Marley Matlin wrote in the memoir that William Hurt physically abused and sexually assaulted her many, many, many times. In one very scary passage, she remembered an incident that took place while William Hurt was filming Broadcast News, a film that he was nominated for an Oscar on. He got home around 4.30 a.m., drunk as hell, woke her up. Next thing she knows, he's pulling her out of the bed, shaking her, screaming at her. She's scared shit. 
She's sobbing. Remember, she's deaf. She can't really yell or talk or scream. Then he throws her back on the bed, starts ripping her clothes off and his clothes off, and she's crying, no, no, Bill, please, no. More like, no, no, please, no, no. I'm sorry, I, I had to do that. The next thing I remember, she says, is Bill ramming himself inside me as I sobbed. Now, at the time, when Matlin's book was published, the media was really unwilling to call William Hurt what he was, a piece of shit, a man accused of physically abusing and raping his young girlfriend. Instead, their time together was described by the book company, Simon & Schuster, as passionate and volatile, you know, tumultuous, any kind of language they can use other than abusive. And then at one point, Molly Matlin was doing an appearance on Larry King Live to promote her book. Joy Behar was subbing for Larry King that night. And she said to Matlin, all right, let's talk about William Hurt. What's the deal between the two of you? Was it love? Was it lust? And you said in the book that the sex with him was spectacular. Now you've piqued my interest. Can we have a few details? Could you imagine sharing sex stories with Joy Behar? Jesus Christ. If this happened to Marley Matlin four or five years ago, do you have an idea what would have happened to, 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 to William Hurt? He'd be through. He'd be done. But no, he lived a very long time after being an absolute fuckface to this girl. Now, in the beginning, she and William Hurt immediately connected during the initial screen test for children of a lesser god. And Matlin remembered the way that Hurt would manipulate her emotionally, both on set and off set. And the director at the time, Rhonda Haynes, just began to believe that it was all just part of Bill's process, that he needed conflict, some kind of resistance to fight through before he could get to the place he needed. Oh, what a bunch of bullshit. Just fucking act. She said later that she thought about pulling... Marley aside and telling her, don't take this personally. It's just the way Bill works. But she never did that. And Marley was too emotionally drawn into Bill's world that it, she wouldn't have listened anyhow. And as with that night at the Oscars, Hurt left a mark on what should have been an ecstatic once-in-a-lifetime experience. Marley has said that many of the scenes that they're in are defined in her, in her memory by whether Bill and her were fighting that day. She described a particular sex scene that shows how her critically acclaimed performance is forever tied up in that abusive relationship. She said, in the scene after we made love, we're on the floor and I roll away from him. My dress is pushed above my knees and down my left leg are a number of fresh bruises. You can see them if you watch the scene now. I never said anything that day. And I wondered if the makeup crew would notice, would try to cover them or something, but nobody did. It's as if no one sees. Well, Molly, you're right. No one wants to see. And when they do see, many people don't say anything. And then years later, no one knows the truth. Back in 2009, Access Hollywood interviewed Molly. Nancy O'Dell asked her about the abuse. And Molly said, I always had fresh bruises every day. And if I had a split lip, or if, I mean, there were a lot of things that happened that were not pleasant. 
That just kind of fell by the wayside, too. Her memoir contains an anecdote from a trip to Europe where she flew in to visit Hurt while he was working on 1988's A Time of Destiny. And she includes her translator's recollections of a particularly brutal fight one night. And the translator named Jack said that just as I came out of my room, Marley came out of theirs. She had bruises on her face and the start of a black eye. And I could see Bill behind her. And he had a split lip too. Marley wanted to go home or to call the police. I didn't see how we could do either. Bill had the tickets. None of us had any money. And I didn't know how to contact the police in Yugoslavia. Later in the memoir, Jack recalled yet another incident. This time, William Hurt called him to come and get Matlin. And he said, when I got to their floor, I saw Molly sobbing on the floor in the hallway, her clothes thrown in heaps all around her. And Bill came out in the hall, angry and drunk, and just kept saying, don't believe a fucking thing she tells you. Now, Matlin isn't the only one who's accused William Hurt of abuse over the course of his career. In 1989, he was engulfed in a minor scandal due to a palimony trial. According to reports at the time, Hurt's ex, Sandra Jennings, said that she and the actor had lived together as common-law husband and wife, which therefore entitled her to half of his estimated $10 million bucks in assets. It's pretty good, $10 million bucks back in 89, Jesus Christ. Jennings met the actor in 1981, said that William Hurt employed violent physical and verbal abuse against her. She also claimed that he smashed her across the face only five days after the birth of their child. She was allegedly holding their son at the time of the beating. Jennings also said Hurt's abuse of Molly Madeline, which she reportedly learned about from her son, Jennings alleged that during visits her son witnessed Hurt Kicking his living girlfriend, Hurt, of course, denied ever hitting Jennings even once. But she said he'd have one drink and he'd have a personality change immediately. Then when he didn't drink for a couple of days, he'd get violent. I started seeing it, and that's why I started going to Al-Anon meetings. But he was absolutely refusing to talk about it at the time or even consider it. Jennings' attorney also said that she had two abortions over the course of her relationship with Hurt. The second, because the actor was beating her up too much. Nice guy. Hurt was supported in the trial by some of his most famous Hollywood friends. This is where it gets disgusting. They all cited the actor's heroic struggle to deal with his substance abuse. Glenn Close was his biggest supporter. She said the important thing is that Bill is really doing something about it. He's seeking support and he's passionate about it. And for that reason, he has my deepest respect. He's in great shape, the best he's ever been in. I think he's actually quite a different person. Glenn Close, who likes to stand up for women's rights and be all fucking me too and time's up. This was her back in the day talking shit like that about her friend, William Hurt. What gets me especially sick, guys, is not only that he beat a woman, and a woman 16 years his junior. So in this instance, he was beating up a teenager, a piece of shit. But he was also beating up and abusing a deaf woman, 
who couldn't scream for help as loud as most other women can. That's a real special kind of asshole. So you guys, don't have a toast. Watch your William Hurt Marathon movies this weekend. I prefer to remember the shitty things this guy did, especially because I remember as a kid looking at him and immediately not trusting him. And like I said, as a child or a dog, we always know. Isn't that right? I'm AJ Benzer. That was your free show for Reckless Wednesdays, and no one was as wrecked as William Hurt in the 1980s. I'll talk to you this Friday. Thank you for listening. Fame is a Bitch is an AJ Benza Workhouse Connect production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of AJ Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. 